and welcome to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard. Yet again, this month, we've got another amazing artist, and I, I don't take that word lightly. We have Steve Ellis, uh, who was in Love Affair in the, the late 60s, but he went on to a, join a number of bands and also has had a rather excellent solo career as well. And we just heard a very early Love Affair track, Satisfaction Guaranteed, which was the B-side of a Stones cover that they did, She Smiled Sweetly. Steve, welcome to the show. Hello, Jason. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing good, thank you. Good, um, good, good. That's interesting because that was, I think that was your only single on Decca. Yeah, one shot deal with Decca and an abysmal copy of a Stones number in the wrong key. But <laughs> <laughs> well, the B-side was one of your own, wasn't it? It was the first track me and the keyboard player consciously sat down and wrote and we used to do it live and we played with Juno Washington and Juno said to me, did you write that? And I went, yeah, me and the keyboard player, Morgan. And he said, like, cover it, but I don't think he ever did, but it sort of was a bit of encouragement because we were about 16 at the time. And that's the interesting thing is that you were you were so young um, and it's just incredible, you know, that the band were just so young in uh, that uh, that period. Yeah, it was. It was like out of school. I was in the band already. We were gigging all up, you know, London, Marquee, uh, Tiles, uh, everywhere in London. And uh, up north, we were going up north Manchester, and I think it was the Torch. I'm not sure it was the Torch or the... That song's got a real sort of soul feel. Was that more representative of the band's sound than, um, you know, when you went on to CBS? Yeah. later on that year yeah definitely live yeah there's that story about everlasting lovers that you recorded that as a, a band first of all but then was it the record company decided to sort of re, just re-record it with strings and just with your vocals yeah the powers that be we, we did a version which i've never heard since i think the management decided that it needed a big production so well we, i went in and um with mike smith and uh mike rossi and keith mansfield and i got this sort of 40-piece orchestra with Clem Gattini and all those guys, top session players, and I'm like, where's my band? <laughs> Two takes done. That was it. Well, we're playing uh, Everlasting Love to close the show, but our next track is Hush, and that's from uh, the, the Everlasting Love Affair album that you did, and was that one of the tracks that you did record as a band? Yeah, absolutely, live in the studio, and we used to do it live on stage as well. It sort of went down really well, and then... Many, many, many years later, a band called Cooler Show covered it pretty much to the letter, identical version, and had a big, big hit with it. But we just did it as an album track, you know. <laughs>
The Love Affair from 1968 and Hush. Steve, we've got The Love Affair again and time hasn't changed us. And um, you had a, a string of singles out that was such incredible success. Almost overnight, you had a flurry of singles in that sort of pop soul mold. Yes. And you became team pinups. Yeah, indeed. And um, it was all a bit, bit mad, really. But Time Hasn't Changed Us was chalk for a, a single the end of 69 when I was sort of getting them, I wanted to leave the band because we, could, we couldn't hear what we were playing live. And I just thought there was no payback musically here and, and they wanted to do other stuff and I wanted to do other stuff and they wanted to sort of go into this sort of prog rock stuff and I wanted to do sort of more sort of solely bluesy sort of stuff. So I I can't actually remember recording it. I think it I, I think that it was one of them where I just went in and put a vocal on it and then it didn't come out and I forgot all about it, you know what I mean? Phil, who wrote it, who wrote three or four hits for us, I spoke to about a year ago. He'd been sending me songs for new albums and whatever because we still keep in touch, still mates. And he said, oh, you never believe it. He said, I was clearing the, clearing the garage and I, and I found this old acetate. And um, I said, what is it? So he said, time hasn't changed. So I said, oh, I don't remember it. I said, well, look, send it to me. I'll get it up studio and see if they can't snatch it. And it was it was in a real bad way. It had all, had all sort of like uh, the lacquer was lifting off it. And it was in a real poor state. You know, it was one shot, one pop. Uh, sent this guy really good. And uh, he got it. And uh, hence, it's on the album. So a bit of a, a lucky break to actually get it in that one here, if you get what I mean. Do you ever feel like going back to the places we once knew, my love? And walking, seeing how they've changed. I sometimes do my love Though some things may have changed One thing's just the same
love affair, time hasn't changed us. Next, Steve, we have yeah. the love affair, and I think what was your final single with the the band One Road? One Before Last, yeah. An ultimate. Yeah, I think it was a really good song, and um, it was a little bit of a change in direction for the band at the time, but it got top 20, I think, well, it did, but it, it was a little bit different to the sort of Day Without Loves and the Bringing On Backs and, and, you know, Rainbow Valley and all that sort of stuff, so, yeah, yeah it served its purpose. show steve will be playing some of the solo material uh, that's also on the new um, box set but yeah. we'll be coming back to that we're next uh, moving to the band you formed ellis can you tell me about ellis i sort of felt a bit out of kilter I did some solo stuff a couple of solo singles and um 
I just felt like I needed to be in the band again. So Zoot Mully, I got pally with. We'd said at some point we'd get a band together, and he'd had a, sort of quite a lot of work commitment at the time. So then I think like 18 months later, we went, right, let's do it. And we got the band together. I'd already got pretty much everybody else, so we were just sort of waiting on Zoot. And then uh, we uh, relocated down to my house, cottage I had in the country man <laughs> and we rehearsed all the time and um, we came up with this this album and, and some really good tracks did two albums for Epic and uh, the first one I believe is better is produced by Roger Daltrey because he was sort of next, lived next door he was in the Palamites since I was about 17 so he did a good job yeah the track we're playing El Dumo that's kind of one of your signature tracks really it's yeah, it's funny. It's got a life of its own. It's, a, it's sort of one of them ones that didn't sort of sell millions, but a lot of people really love. And it, it's very, very different to anything I'd ever done. It's almost sort of ghost-like. And, uh, you know, I wrote it one day, and I, I, I don't know, we rehearsed it up, and I said, I short on a title, because it's got this rundown at the beginning, like Spanish guitar things, like suit with his typical sense of humour. I would call it El Dumo because it's miserable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so it's sort of stuck. People go, why is it called El Dumo? Yeah.
Love is blue, love is gold Dumo by Ellis. Next we have another track from Ellis and also from that same album, Riding on the Crest of a Slump, and it's good to be alive. Can you tell me about working with Roger Daltrey? Because that you, you, was a bit of a coup, really, in, in essence, because I, I don't recall Roger doing much sort of production work and working with many other bands in that, that no, time. No, he, he only ever produced one other band called Ben Frame, and, and the album never came out, they did for track and it's just my mate so he said I'll produce you so we routine the album at Mitch Mitchell's from Jimi Hendrix band at a cottage about five six miles away for about a month we routine the album and then Roger came back from a Who tour and went straight in the studio and put it all down and Zoot wrote it he was wandering about with his guitar in the meadow <laughs> he said I've got this great song and he played it and we all cracked up laughing and went, right, let's do it. So we did. Walking down the road just the other day There was a young man playing his guitar out in the rain Well, he sang this song and he sang it just for me And I could tell you have any shoes on his feet Don't it make you feel good To be alive I went down the road A little bit further on There was a lady standing Bursting into song Well she sang so sweet She made me cry Shook my hand and then she said And the horses too, they understand what I mean, but then you could too. 
to be alive. Next, Steve, we have Widowmaker and what happened with Ellis, you know, in terms of that band ending and, and uh, Widowmaker being formed? With uh, Ellis Band, I think it was so far removed from Love Affair, it was like commercial suicide, if you like, but we used to play universities and colleges and all that circuit. Although Epic got behind us to a certain degree, we weren't getting like the kind of sales that they wanted and um, the head of Epic, Sony, CBS at the time, who's a really nice man, uh, he said, we want to lose the band, but we want to keep you. And I, of course, I wasn't pleased at all about it. It was sort of a lot of discussions and a lot, of, lot of despondency, and the band just said, look, it's your shout, really. They're putting pressure on you. You've got to do it. So I went solo. Did up the singles with Chaz Chandler, and um, Widowmaker appeared. Pinarose on Me is one of the, the highlights of Widowmakers. Mm. The album that you made with Widowmaker, I think, is a really nice ballad. Yeah, Widowmaker was a sort of hard rock, mainly much more suited in a sort of arena rock arena. We we did a big support tour in in America for three and a half months with ELO on the same label as us, so we were doing like amphitheaters and it was sort of that that typical kind of um, uh, rock scenario back in that time. You know, big crowds playing festivals and all the rest of it you know it was a bit brutal because it was like a long time you know three and a half month tour is a long tour it was a good band but i don't know it was there were mix-ups with um the licensing in uh in america was supposed to go on united artists and it got delayed and it went in the charts first week and then i don't want it's not a sob story it went in the charts first week and you couldn't buy it anywhere because we're going around the shops have you got no we haven't got it in yet you know so we sort of missed the boat because of that which was a bit of a tragedy but the gig's great, and there's a great band, but like like all things, I, I think spending all that amount of time together and, and the year prior to it and everything, you just in the end, you just like had sick of the sight of each other, you know, and it, it, there was a few fisticuffs and things, and um, I think we just decided to call it a day, you know. <laughs> Let's hear the first of the two Widowmaker tracks, Pin and Rose on Me.
Widowmaker pin arose on me. The last of our Widowmaker tracks is Ain't Telling You Nothing. Steve, you were managed by um, 
the notorious, if you want to use the word notorious, Don Arden, very yes. Yes. well-known manager, but quite ruthless in his dealings with bands and other people. Yeah, well, you know, the record shows small faces, Amen Corner, you know, and they'll warn me, but oh, I know you get a bit mellower when you get older, but I would say he got us out there and got us in the sort of those kind of dates supporting the LO and... In that respect, he did a good job. As far as um, the other side of the coin, <laughs> uh, we got a paid a wage. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Don was Don, mate, and he's, he's gone now, so I'm, I'm not going to talk talk bad about him. But he had his way of doing things, and if he didn't comply, then then he, he wasn't very happy. But you know, there wasn't no fear factor or anything. It wasn't yeah. some kind of gangster. I think he liked it, but like people would think he was. But I, I got on all right with him, but. Don was Don. He, he wanted everything his his way, and if it, you know, it was my way or the highway. So I sort of got to the end of the tour, and I thought I don't want to do this anymore. And I had a meet with him, and he said, "Oh, we, you know, we'll pick you up as solo and do a solo." I, nah, no thanks, Don. No, I had enough. Took me to court and lost, and um, and I walked away. Going back to Widowmakers, like I ain't telling you nothing. That was me and Luther, and Luther had one part, and I had the other, and they just married up. It was complete fluke, you know. We didn't sort of sit down and write it. He had one bit, I had another bit, and we sort of sat down and went, add your bit onto mine now, you know, and it was like, oh, that works. That's how it works, you know. You, you mm. sit down on your own and, and sort of strum away for hours and nothing happens, or you can sort of bounce off somebody and, and it seems to work better for me that way, you know. Get 
finger down in the avenue Sign posted this way, Mr. Lucky Just pick up the phone and give me a call I'll be grateful, thankful and happy Widowmaker ain't telling you nothing. We're now going back into the uh, back very in time. We're back in time to the the very late sixties, early seventies, yeah. and into some of the solo sessions that you did. Yeah. Um, and which which also feature on the Time Hasn't Changed as box set. And Correct, um, yeah. I think so, some of these songs got released a few years back on Rolling with the Sixty Nine Crew as well. And uh, I insisted on uh, playing this track because I, I love it so much. It's your version of. Um, I think it's Stevie Wonder's song. I don't know why. Oh, I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that, well, that album was after Love Affair in the January, February. Follow. I left in December, so in the January, February, the following year, I went in the studio with Keith Mansfield, who did all the Love Affair stuff, and also with a band uh, with a dual purpose of doing one double LP, one being uh, with Keith and one being with a band called Hookfoot and Guess, i.e. Zoot Money, Johnny Still, again, etc., etc., etc. We did this album, and I was left to pick what I wanted to do, which was nice, because CBS said, you know, do what you want to do. When we'd finished it, I, I, as I said, I had this hankering to get a band together. So we said, well, we'll put it on the back burner temporarily, and it got lost. It was stowed away in the archive, and I kind of moved on with what I was doing, and I'd, I hadn't forgotten about it, but... It was there, and I thought, well, I'm doing something else now. Well, then, the passage of time, some 40 years later, I'm trying to source this album. Nobody could find it anywhere. Everybody was looking. Just by chance, a guy who works at Sony stumbled across the track listing, and he said, is this what you're looking for? And, and we said, yes. He said, where is it? So he said, it's in our archive, but no name on the boxes. So it's just track lists. But I'd remember the tracks. So without being really boring, I said, "Well, can we have the can we have that?" And it was all on two-inch masters, which is like big, massive, mm. big masters, you know. So we had to put that into um, somebody to bake them, because you have to bake them because they, they shatter, and then transfer them onto uh, like files. And then um, I got a friend of mine to mix it, and I was sitting there listening to it, thinking, "Wow, you know, I've known these, you know, forty years were." 
and um, it sort of came out on this on this small label for a while, and then Cherry Red picked up on it and said, "No, we want to include it in um, in a box set." And I said, "Well, fine, you know, let's do it." But the the recordings are, are sensational. I mean, there there must there must be some of your best work. Well, everybody says to me you should have put it out, but mm. it, it's like everything. Benefit of hindsight is a wonderful thing, but at the time I just thought I want to be in a band. I need a band. I want to be in a band again. When you're sort of like 20, you sort of think you're going to live forever, and you you know I'll get back to that next month. <laughs> and then <laughs> next month turns into 10 years, 20 years, whatever. But I'm glad that I'm glad we found it. I'm really glad we found it. Mm. Well, let's listen to the first of those tracks from the, that session. I don't know why. Okay. Don't Know Why by Steve Ellis. Some of the solo material on time hasn't changed us, the uh, the new box set on RPM Chew Red. Next, Steve, we have your excellent version of Gimme Shelter. Okay. You've got a really good band playing on that. That's Hookfoot. Uh, Hookfoot was Elton John's backing band at the Back time. Caleb Quay and... Yeah, Caleb lived down the road from me where I grew up. And he was like top guitar, you know, he was like top man where I lived. And we tried, actually, I tried to get him to join Love Affair in the beginning. 
but he was a bit older than us and he, and he, he was he already had a band and that and so on so there's a bit of history there you know so I, I got hold of Caleb and I said look I'm doing this stuff da 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 he said yeah right so we went on and we did quite a few tracks for this particular album and um, Gimme Shelter was one of them Steve Ellis giving shelter. Next we have Rainy Night in Georgia. That really sort of highlights the, the sort of soul side of things, I think, Steve? Well, like I said, they, they let me cherry pick what I wanted. And I had a Tony Joe White album and I heard it and I thought, I've got to record that. 
but of course now it's a classic. Not Randy Crawford and people like that, Joe Cocker, I think. I can't remember, but a lot of people have covered it. But I got in there first. <laughs> yeah, I got in there first, but it came out last. I just thought it was a brilliant song, you know. I mean, I, I did it in 1970, so I, I think Tony Joe's come out 69, maybe. <laughs> Georgia and um, what you were saying before Steve was a good song is a good song and um, the next song certainly fits in that category 
um, by a you know a tremendous songwriter and artist, Paul Weller. Brand new start. That's a fantastic song. Mm-hmm. Paul's a mate of mine, so. Um very good mate of mine, some 30 years. In fact, I'm working with him a bit at the moment. We're doing something up at the studio. And I just, I don't know, I just really like that song. So I thought, you know what, I think I'll do that and I'll change it around a bit and do my own take on it, get, make it more piano-driven as opposed to acoustic, you know. I think it worked out pretty good. Start to make a brand new 
start Steve Ellis, brand new start. Next, Steve, um, brand new start was on the uh, Best of Days album. Yeah. What we, we didn't mention was that you had a break in recording and playing um, predominantly in the sort of 1980s. I understand you got an, you got an injury that, that prevented you um, being the artist that you are in the 80s? Yeah, the bad accident, yeah. A really bad accident with both my feet broken, so sort of took me out of the game for quite a while. You did a lot of live shows, that kind of thing? Yeah, it got back in the thought, you know, pal of mine phone up, he said, why don't you get back gigging again? So I thought, yeah, that's what I've got to do, get back on the road, and uh, that's what I did. In terms of best of days, that got loads of good reviews? Yeah, I mean, again, you know, I was um, delighted, because I hadn't made an album for quite a while. And you were songwriting for that? Is, is uh, Modesty, that was, the one of, was that one of the tracks that you've co-written? Uh, yeah, I did. I, I wrote that with a guy that I worked with in my band, keyboard player. I think that was one of the first ones we put down. I don't know. It, it, I think it was a pretty good song, you know? What can I say? I can't say it's great. I wrote it. I, it, I thought it was a good song, you know? I'm not a prolific writer. I don't profess to be. You know, I'll have a go and sometimes things just happen and you, you end up, yeah, let's do that and it, and it works. But I'm not, I'm not by any stretch a, a songwriter per se. Like, yeah, I'm a singer. <laughs> There's plenty of good songs out there. There's hundreds of good songs out there and you, you hear something and you think, oh, I like that. I think I'll record that. But sometimes you just turn one up yourself and you think, yeah, that's all right. I'll put that on the album. You're not as a filler, but because it's all mm. right. You know, if it's, if it's no good, you don't bother. It's uh, an excellent track. Uh, one of the highlights of Best of Days, Modesty. Uh, thank you. Things that 
Honesty from Best of Days, uh, one of Steve's recent solo albums. Next, we move on to, I think it's your most recent album, mm-hmm. Ten Commitments, and the track, We Got It. Again, you got some really, really good reviews for that album, and, and yeah. that's another excellent song. I probably must have gone through, and I'm not kidding, probably about 100 tracks over the course of about a year, and I just sort of was like, filing away yeah i think i'll get back to that one never and there's this guy called eddie hinton who used to play for the muscle shoals rhythm section a friend of mine pan but she put said listen to eddie hinton i thought what a great voice you know so i played this album and this this particular track just jumped out at me i thought i've got to do that uh sadly he died very young but um he wrote for percy sledge and all kinds of uh, different people in america i think he wrote cover me and may, maybe Warm and Tender Love, maybe, I can't remember, Percy Sledge, but he, he was he was a really rated guy. And I think we did all right with it, me and the band did all right with it, you know.
Steve Ellis. We got it from Ten Commitments. Next, we have the uh, second and last song from that album and Hit the Spot. That's another cracking track from that well-received album, Steve. Yeah, it's um, Dennis Greaves, pal of mine from Nine Below Zero, who's in a band called Truth as well. I sort of, I wonder if Dennis has got anything. So I spoke to Dennis. He said, I've got this album out. I said, send us a copy. And uh, I got it, I thought, and I heard hit the spot, and I thought we could do a blistering live version of that. So we did it live, and uh, I thought, you know what, we got to record this. So um, I sent it to Dennis, and I think he was quite chuffed with it. We changed it a bit because music's music. You, you put your own take on things. You don't copy anything. You know what I mean? I know people will say you copied Everlasting Love, but then again, we didn't because it's nothing like Robert Knight's version. So maybe that's a contradiction. Steve Ellis hit the spot.
Steve Ellis hit the spot. Next, Steve, before we go, we've got to give the new RPM Records free CD set. Time hasn't changed as a, a good mention. Uh-huh. We couldn't leave today without giving yet another play of Everlasting Love. That song seems to resonate with you know your audience. It, it seems like um, a song that you will never escape. No, you're uh, right. I, I, for a while... I didn't do it, and people were very disappointed, and then I thought about it, and I thought, you know what, they're paying to get in, they want to hear it. You can't turn your back on your heritage. You cannot not do what people want, and it's become, of its time, one of those songs of its time, you know, of mm-hmm. an era, and when we play it live, everybody just goes mad, you know, we usually finish up with it, and maybe go back on again after that, but... Everybody loves it as soon as you start it. Everybody goes ballistic, so there's the answer. I don't know. It's, it used to be a bit of a curse, and then I thought, well, you know what? I'm lucky, really. Yeah. You know, To have a, a record of that magnitude at 17 years old, it served me very well, so I'm not going to... You know, but I always do it. I don't. I don't just do it like a jukebox. I, I do it. No. I do it properly, and we we ended up doing about a five-minute version of it. Not boringly so. You know, there's no guitar solos or anything, but it sort of turns back on itself and it goes into a, a sort of amp when you get people singing a bit of a bit of something else, and it, it just works. So otherwise, if you did it every night, you'd get really bored. We mm. got we got a 64-day tour coming up. You've got to juggle things around a little bit, but it's the same as the record, but just a bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> I've read that you did Top of the Pops five weeks in a row. Apparently, yeah. Is that long ago? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I imagine it was just a, an absolute haze, especially because you, you were so young at the time. Well, yeah, because we're on the, on this show with all these people that we caught, we, we kind of think, like, you know, one minute you're looking at them on the telly thinking, God, you know, he's great, or she's great, or or they're great. Or the next thing is you, you, they're in the dressing room next door and, you, and you're talking to them. <laughs> this is all a bit surreal, you know. It's like the Who um, we ended up uh, at Heathrow Airport at Silly O'Clock one day, and we'd had a couple of hits, and uh, and they come walking over to us, and they said, hey, boys, where are you going? We said, Germany. They said, hey, what are you doing? They said, TV Beat Club. We went, so are we. So we ended up two days complete madness with the Who, you know, right. 1969. And um, that's, that's sort of how I got to be pals with Roger. Well, Steve, thank you for your time on the podcast today. You mentioned that you close your live shows with Everlasting Love, so it seems appropriate we close your podcast today with Everlasting Love itself. So oh, I um, can't argue with you, can I? <laughs> <laughs> so let's give that a spin and uh, also give the uh, the new box set a good plug as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope people enjoy listening to your podcast, whatever that is. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Welcome love, we once knew